I've used courtroom illustrations before, and today I begin by talking about closing statements of lawyers. It's their one last chance to convince others of their desired verdict. One such famous speech took place on July 26, 1946. It was at the Nuremberg trials where the fate of 24 Nazi men is about to be decided. Up comes Robert H. Jackson, who not only summarizes and highlights their guilt, but displays skilled oration, mastery of English, rhetoric, analogies, similes, metaphors, knowledge of history, and even includes Shakespeare. That's why this speech has been studied and celebrated for decades. I found a copy online. It was 23 pages, and it was good. (laughs) How you close does matter. If we were to continue the legal illustration with Paul, we could say that the last eight verses of Galatians, in there, the apostle makes his final pitch to incriminate his enemies and defend the gospel. And we have some great oration here. How Paul closes does matter. And we'll read it again, but the first verse of his final remarks jumps out of the page and gets in your face. And verse 11 says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. I tend to think the apostle dictated most of the letter while an assistant called an amanuensis recorded his words. It was only towards the end of Galatians that Paul himself took the pen with his hand to write. He does this in the salutations of other letters. So Paul felt the need to take matters into his own hands, literally. When the original recipients of the letter reached chapter 6, verse 11 to 18, they saw a noticeable change in font and size. Now, why did Paul write so big? Something he had poor eyesight. Others believe he had damaged his hands from work or from some past persecution. One commentator suggests that he was crucified at one point and lost function of his hands. I tend to think Paul simply making his last appeal, his closing statement, with some needed emphasis. We saw back in chapter 4, verse 20, how he'd like to be present with them now and to change his tone. Since there's no voicemail, only something like snail mail, since there are no memes and emojis, he needs something else to drive home his points. He inserts himself at the end with his unique handwriting style, large letters and signature. We don't know what they would have looked like originally, but we do have the words themselves. So let's read the passage now. Galatians chapter 6, 11 to 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find it in page 813. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. As we close out this series on Galatians. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised 
only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Normally, the last few words of a letter would not be long enough for a sermon, but Galatians is different. Paul devotes eight verses here, enough to form an entire section of its own. Structurally speaking, after verse 11, which stands by itself, I observe three parts in this passage. Verses 12 and 16 form bookends to Paul's last substantial exhortation. Notice in both verses the phrase, as many as. Then verse 17 begins with the phrase, from now on, and verse 18 begins with the warm address of brethren. In terms of content, I observe within these three sections, three gospel topics, each related to Jesus, his cross in verses 12 and 14, his marks in verse 17, his grace in verse 18. Based on these topics, I suggest three emphases we need to stress as a gospel community. Three emphases of a gospel community. One, boast in the cross of Christ that brings new life. Boast in the cross of Christ that brings new life. That's verses 12 to 16. Two, endure suffering for Christ. That's verse 17. Endure suffering for Christ. Three, grow in the grace of Christ. Verse 18, grow in the grace of Christ. Verse 18. The first emphasis of the gospel communities on the cross of Christ, how we should boast in it because it brings us new life. I will spend most of my time on this point. Throughout the letter, Paul has exposed the Judaizers. From as early as chapter 1, verse 7, he said, There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Judaizers, remember, want Gentile Christians to convert to Judaism and come under the yoke of the law. They'd have to enter through the rite of circumcision and follow in other requirements, such as the observation of the Jewish calendar, as it speaks of it in chapter 4, verse 10. This teaching's insidious, but not completely new. Something similar already happened in Jerusalem and Syrian Antioch. In Jerusalem, Paul detected false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. That's in chapter, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. And then in Antioch, Peter and other Jewish believers started separating themselves from their Gentile brothers. 
Such legalism contradicts the gospel of free grace available to both the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Now this legalism was in full effect in Galatia. Much damage was already done. While Paul was away, the Judaizers were busy discrediting him and his ministry, turning a dear friend of the Galatians into their enemy. They're hindering the brethren from obeying the truth, infiltrating them like a leaven in a dough. They'll be judged someday, yet Paul's growing frustrated with them so much that he wishes they go beyond circumcision to castration. Once more in today's passage, Paul's going to confront the Judaizers. We see in verses 12 and 13 their pressure tactic, their coercive strategy. They probably said something along the lines of, hey, it's good that you're a Christian, but you're not complete. You need to get to the next level in your spiritual life. You have to become a Jew and follow Moses. And the first step is circumcision. But these guys were up to no good. Underneath all that zeal and passion were, I believe, three things. Cowardice, hypocrisy, and pride. Let me talk about each one of these as sort of subpoints. Because even Christians struggle with them from time to time. First, cowardice. Cowardice prevents us from boasting in the cross. Cowardice is the crux of the matter. Let me take a few minutes to make this connection. So, As Paul was fulfilling his calling as the apostle to the Gentiles, he preached to them the gospel of justification by faith alone. God's blessings are available to anyone who believes, Jews and Gentiles, just as they are. Now that the time of Jesus is here, the time of the law has ended. And remember, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law had a complementary but distinct function from faith. And there's no way to mix freedom and bondage, the works of the law with the hearing of faith, the Holy Spirit and the flesh. Legalism and grace. That's why Paul said to the Galatians, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. They be debtors to keep the whole law. They who attempt to be justified by law have fallen from grace. But that message, God's good news apart from our good works, was offensive to the Jews. Even Christian Jews wanted their Gentile brothers to get circumcised. That way, they can have the best of both worlds, keep their one foot in the Jewish society and the other foot in the fellowship of diversity. But Paul would not allow it. He refused to compromise the gospel and add any hint of legalism to it. He maintained the purity of the message at all times and at all, and at all costs. If Paul adds circumcision as a requirement for salvation, he takes away everything from the gospel message. He chose the offense of the cross, and he accepted persecution that came with it. Paul's a bondservant of Christ, not a people pleaser. He feared the curse of God more than the curse of men. 
Has the fear of man ever led you to de-emphasize the cross instead of emphasizing it? We do so in various ways. We may stay silent or duck undercover when persecutions abound. Or we try to dress up the gospel by adding to it. We might remove its supernatural parts for the rationalist. Make the message relevant for the populace. Remove the stumbling block and the foolishness of his preaching. And underneath it all is cowardice. We must avoid the examples of the Judaizers who feared persecution for the cross of Christ. Hypocrisy is another problem of these Judaizers. They were on their moral high horse, acting as if they can fulfill the law in the power of the flesh. But of course they can't. Paul made it clear this is an impossible task. He wrote in chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You are never done in the system of legalism. But not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Application again. How do we avoid hypocrisy? How do we make sure it doesn't undercut our emphasis on the cross? Before I answer, just to be clear, if we're born-again, regenerate Christians, we do truly enjoy the forgiveness of all our sins. We're free from sin's eternal penalty. Presently, we have power over sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the future, when Christ returns, we're glorified in our bodies and we'll be delivered from the presence of sin forever. But until then, sin is a reality of our lives and we have to be real with ourselves. We must not hide sin, but expose it. Don't ignore it but confront it. Imitate Daniel in Daniel 9.20, confessed his sins and the sins of his people. As we model for you most weeks here, we open the Bible so we can open our hearts for confession. The scriptures not only make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. Let's be a church that does not tolerate hypocrisy. In addition to cowardice and hypocrisy, the Judaizers were filled with pride. They wanted to make a good showing in the flesh, so they compelled the Galatians to be circumcised so that they may boast in their flesh. Some compare their practice to the practice of scalping. Scalping is the act of cutting off or tearing the human scalp from the head for display as trophies of war. Now, by winning converts to Judaism by circumcision, the Judaizers were, in effect, trying to be like David as he killed 200 Philistines and brought their foreskins as dowry for marriage. Except that the Lord was not with these false teachers as he was with David. And that's because of pride. The Lord regards the lowly, 
but the proud he knows from afar. Has pride in the flesh prevented you from boasting in the cross? We need to remind ourselves of his dangers, the dangers of pride. Brother Carey read for us earlier in Jeremiah 9. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. We sang earlier, my worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. Now, the solution to pride is not merely and only negative. Let not this, let not that, my worth is not in this, my worth is not in that. It's not only negating, but also confirming. And Paul, in verse 14, shows us how to do that. Paul contrasts himself with the Judaizers rather emphatically here. The original word behind God forbid, is one that he reserves for the most outrageous suggestions. Back in chapter 2, verse 17, he used it to answer the ridiculous question, is Christ the minister of sin? Certainly not. In Romans, he'll use the formula to answer more, like, is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Has God cast away his people? The clear answer to all of these is an emphatic, certainly not. It's the same thing here, but he also gets personal. He puts a personal pronoun at the beginning, and it literally says, and as for me, may it never be to boast except in the cross. But even without such emphasis, talking about the cross this way would have shocked most people's sensibilities. These days, we see the cross on top of steeples, adorning pretty necklaces and emblazoned on T-shirts. We may have forgotten how grotesque and gory it was to hang on it. Frankly, if we could time travel, it would benefit us to experience the shame, smell the blood, see the torn flesh hanging on it, hear the groans and screams of its victims, the mockery of the crowds. It was indeed a torture device and a cruel form of execution. The electric chair and the lethal injection today at least preserve some human dignity and ended life quickly. Not so the cross. The Romans were so repulsed by the crucifixion that it was a taboo to even say the word. An influential high official named Cicero, who was active about a century before Jesus, speaks of the cross as the unlucky tree, the ill-omened tree. It was impolite and improper to mention it, let alone boast in it. Yet here's a man doing that very thing. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ has changed Paul in every way possible. The gospel doesn't just change habits, work life, or religious practices, that would be saying too little. It would, not be too, it would not be too much to say that his world flipped upside down. In the most dramatic way possible, Christ crucified meant the end of his old way of living. 
The world was dead to him, and he was dead to the world. Paul would agree with the lyrics of that old hymn, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. But the gospel is not all about death. We boast in the cross of Christ that brings new life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As we're united to Christ by faith, it no longer matters whether we're Jew or Gentile. We are one. And I think it's worth reading in an entirety Ephesians 2, 11-22 and see what God has accomplished in salvation. So keep your place in Galatians 6 and turn in your pew Bibles just one page over to look at Ephesians 2. You'll see it in page 814. And there's a lot here so you can meditate on it more and you should go home. But let me just read and you can follow along. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were, once, who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. See what the cross has accomplished. New creation. One new man from the two. United citizenship, one household of God, a whole building, a holy temple in the Lord for the dwelling of the Spirit. And notice the repeated emphasis on peace. Christ is our peace. He is our peacemaker and peace preacher. Through the cross, Jesus brings us life, connects us to each other, but even more importantly, reconciles us to God. That's why we enjoy grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We see in verse 16 that Paul would love to see many understand and follow this gospel principle, see many Gentiles saved. As for his own countrymen, he saw most of his fellow Jews rejecting and perverting the gospel, yet he was confident that Israel belonging to God will be revealed in the future. In the coming kingdom, the remnant of Israel, according to the election of grace, would be grafted in again. Mercy and peace upon them is his future hope and present prayer. And what about you? Do you have mercy and peace in Christ? Do you believe that the cross brings life? Will you boast in it? Or are you seeking to be justified by the law or boast in the flesh? Do you love this present world and the things in it too much to give them up and come to Jesus? Our Lord calls you to be crucified with him. Die to yourself and die to the world. And here's how it's done. First and foremost, we must know and believe the gospel. It is the true story of humanity, how God created us in his image. Yet we need to become new creation because we've forgotten our creator. We exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. This rebellion, idolatry, and sin ruined us. Like the Judaizers in today's passage, we're self-righteous, cowardly, hypocrites, prideful. Apart from Christ, our place is in the lake of fire, of everlasting burnings in the coming day of the Lord. Yet God did not leave us to suffer forever in hell. He sent his Son. All things were created through him and for him, yet he became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Rejected by his own, he went to the cross to die for our sins in our place. There he paid the price of sin that we should pay. After paying that penalty with his life, he was buried, rose again on the third day, he ascended to heaven, and someday he'll return to judge all mankind. Christ has done all the work required to reconcile with God and enter heaven. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. There's no room for boasting in the law or our good works. We must repent of our selfishness and self-righteousness, turn our backs on the world. We must turn to trust in Jesus for salvation. Be justified through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Come to Jesus today. For those who are already Christians, we're thankful for the cross of Jesus and the life he brings. Gratitude is the reason we take up our cross daily and die daily to ourselves. If we boast in anything related to us, it should be only in our infirmities. And as we do this, as we boast in the cross, there is a consequence for boasting in the cross. 
consequences that Paul faced himself. In verse 17, we're taught to endure suffering for Christ. That's the second emphasis of Paul in today's passage. Now, Paul's not flaunting his bodily marks like some medal of honor. That would directly contradict what he said in verse 14, that he only boasts in the cross. There's no saving power in the apostle's suffering or ultimate martyrdom. Paul is not Christ. But as Paul suffers for the gospel, there's an increase of assurance, assurance of salvation, assurance that he belongs to the Lord. When he looks at the marks of stoning from Lystra, he doesn't wince. To him, they're marks of branding or tattooing that mark up Paul as a servant, a bondservant of Christ. They're proofs that he participates in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, and ultimately attaining the resurrection from the dead. Now, we may not have bodily marks from persecution like Paul, but here's an, here's an important application for all of us when we face oppositions as Christians. Our suffering only reinforces our identity. Our rejection points to our belongingness. Our Lord reminds us in John 15, 19, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul teaches in Philippians 1.28 about how the hostility of our adversaries is a proof of their perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. Verse 18 is the final verse of Galatians, and it teaches us the final emphasis of the gospel community for today. Grow in the grace of Christ. Whereas Paul's wish in verse 16 is likely a prayer for the unsaved, this one's definitely a prayer for his saved friends. The apostle opened his letter with grace in chapter 1, verse 3, and now he closes with it. Two rapid-fire closing applications. First, I wonder whether the language of grace, whether it's the saving grace of Jesus or his sufficient grace to sustain us, permeates our church talk. When's the last time we said to each other as we departed, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit? Now, not that we need to use those exact words, but Christ's supernatural grace should be the topic of our conversations, our prayers, our correspondences. Secondly, we grow in grace by looking at the cross looking to the cross. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Christ did not die in vain. He died because righteousness could not come through the law. He died so that we may be saved by the grace of God. Let's remind each other of these truths as we sing our final hymn. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God.
Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we ask that this word, this passage will will be some a reality in our lives that we will boast in the cross and only in the cross. That if sufferings come, if hatred and rejection come, that we be willing to bear the marks for you. And we pray that your grace will be with us, grace to sustain us, grace so that we may grow in the likeness of your Son. And it's in his name, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.